Morning, Church, and Happy New Year to you once again. Um, our reading today is coming from Psalm chapter 45. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a red describe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, Almighty One, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under, under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. Hear, O daughter, and consider, and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your lord, bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts, the richest of the people. All glorious is the princess in her chamber, with robes interwoven with gold. In many colored robes she's led to the king, with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. In place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. This is the word of God. Yes, good morning. My name is Eddie. All right. Where are we going? Yes, Psalm 45. If you have a Bible, um, it's my privilege this morning to open um, Psalm 45 for us. Um, I must confess that I love a uh, good fairy tale story. Happily ever after is my favorite, you know. When I go to a movie, I want to see the thing starting off like, all right, there must be some problem, and then the hero has to come and save the day, and then happily ever after. I, I remember as a young boy uh, at boarding school, we used to walk uh, to the movies, and we got so excited because Saturday we're going to the movies. We walked to those movies this one day, we watched the movie, and to my horror, the bad guy won. I was traumatized. I couldn't handle it. What is the story of the bad guy? The bad guy never wins. What's going on here? Anyway, um, as you grow older, you realize that life doesn't always turn out the way you'd like. It doesn't always seem like life is happily ever after. But Psalm 45 is a happily ever after song. 
It is a beautiful psalm, and to do that, to see that happily ever after, we, we, we need to look a little bit at context. We need to look at it um, in its place in the Bible. Um, psalm for, the psalms are broken up into books, so there's like sets of books, one to whatever is book one, and whatever, whatever is book two. Book two actually starts at Psalm 42. And if you read Psalm 42 and 43, you find Israel is in deep despair. They're actually quite depressed. There's a, a phrase, uh, continue, there's three times this phrase is um, repeated. And this phrase is this, let me read it for you. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? So this book starts with Israel being in deep turmoil. Uh, Psalm 44, if you look at the heading of Psalm 44, it's actually a cry for help. Israel say, Lord, help us. We are in turmoil. Skip Psalm 45. Go to Psalm 46 and 47. Israel is happy and joyous and celebrating. In the middle, we have Psalm 45, which is actually a joyous, jubilant, wedding love song. All of those together. A beautiful, royal wedding. That's what we have there in Psalm 45. And, and the psalmist is so excited. The guy who writes the psalm is so excited to tell this love song. If you look at the uh, heading of chapter of Psalm 45, it's called the love song. He's so excited to tell this love song that he doesn't tell the love song. He first tells us in verse 1 about himself. And it, when he tells us about himself, he tells us he is bursting with joy. His heart is jumping out of his chest. Let me read for you there. My heart is overflowing with this pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like a pen of a ready scribe. So he is, can't wait. He just wants to tell the world about this royal wedding, this beautiful love song that he's writing about this wedding. But unlike most weddings, the spotlight of this psalm is not on the bride. It'll actually shock you. The spotlight of this psalm, this wedding, the spotlight is on the groom. And we see the psalmist calls him a pleasing theme. It pleases him so much. It's about the king. And it's about the king who came to love his bride. So that's Kind of this happily ever after psalm in a nutshell. So let's start. If you have your Bibles, please open it. Please have it there in front of you. If you have your phones, you can watch on your phone. Otherwise, it's just me talking. Um, if you open your Bible, you actually see it's God talking. Okay. Psalm 45. Psalm 45 starts with the groom. I call him the best groom ever. Or every father-in-law's dream groom. That's what they call him. There we go. Then a little bit about the bride. We look at the bride, and the bride is the most beautiful and stunning bride there is. And lastly, we see how the psalm answers this very amazing question, is how on earth did these two people get together? You know, when you get to those weddings, I do a lot of weddings, and you look at the wedding bride and the groom, you normally look at the groom and go, how on earth did you? Yeah, don't stop smiling. How on earth did you marry your bride? Where, how, how did you guys get together? Well, we'll see how the psalm answers that question. All right. 
Psalm 45. We're going to start with the groom, and I call him the best groom ever because of God. That's the short answer. So the overarching theme of this groom is he is so amazing because something that God has done for him. Now, any good English scholar or guy who can read the Psalms will tell you the Psalms are written in a special way. They're written in a special way so we can read some bits and contrast some bits and contrast some bits and whatever bits and eventually the thing, you know, kicks out. Anyway, if you look at the Psalm there, there's three little refrain phrases. There's a therefore in verse 2, there's a therefore in verse 7, there's a therefore at the end. Uh, And those are helpful markers for us to guide ourselves through the psalm. And the first one, I call it the guy is blessed. This king is blessed because, and you'll see there, therefore God has blessed him. So he's blessed. He's the most amazing groom because God has blessed him. Verse 7, he's the best groom ever. Therefore, because God has anointed him. That's what verse 7 says to us. And verse 17 uh, because of all of this, he's the best groom ever. Therefore, all the nations will praise him. So there we have it. The best groom ever because God has blessed him. God has anointed him. Therefore, all the nations of the world will praise him. That's how the psalm ends. Happily ever after. Now, have a look at the, the first few verses there. Best groom ever. God has, what, how's God has blessed him? How's God blessed him? Well, He's a blessed him in his appearance. Now, I might look very handsome in front here with all the spotlights in, on me. But this groom is the most handsome there in verse 2 of all the sons of men. Now, the idea here is not good looking, but it probably was good looking. But the idea here is people are drawn to him. People are not pushed away from him. He, people are drawn to him. His handsomeness draws people to him. Have a look at the rest of verse 2 there. Grace is poured upon his lips. So God has given him a graceful speech. And we know the opposite of that is when people are, speech are not graceful. You just cannot stand their presence. But not so with, with this groom. His speech is dripping with grace and he just, you cannot get enough of him. You're just drawn to him. Verse 3 and 4 and 5, he's the best groom ever because God has blessed him in victory. So obviously he's a mighty warrior. His sword is grilled, well, grilled, whatever that English word is, grindled. No, that doesn't sound right. Grindled. There we go. I'm trying it again. To his side and he rides out as the mighty one, the victorious one in battle. Verse 4, when he rides out, there's almost no enemy. Well, there is no enemies. It seems like all his enemies have been defeated. And why? Because God has made him a skilled warrior in verse 5. His arrows hit the mark. He's a bow and arrow man, and he hits the mark. Now, this week I've watched a few westerns. I love my westerns. And you know western movies, they shoot boom, 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 boom. The guy's got like a million shots to him, but it doesn't die. Finally, hits him in the heart. Boom, the guy dies. That's the idea here. This groom is such a skilled warrior that with his bow and his arrow, he always hits the mark. He hits the heart of his enemies. And when you hit the heart of your enemy, there's no coming back. There's no... Coming back from that. So, best groom ever. 
because God has made him handsome, made him victorious. But have a look at his war cry. God has blessed him with the most amazing and noblest of causes. Verse 4 is his war cry. He goes out and fights for truth and righteousness with meekness. So, truth, standing for truth. What is right is right. What is wrong is wrong. He stands for it. Verse 7 talks about him hating, uh, loving righteousness. Now, righteousness is just another word for justice. He likes what is just and right. He loves it. He hates wickedness. And how does he go about, how does the groom go about his business of worrying or fighting with meekness? The idea there with meekness is using his power not for self-elevation, but for protection of his others, of his people. So basically, this groom is every father-in-law's dream. You know, you go to weddings, and I, I watch the parents and father-in-law, and I can imagine just in my mind going, he goes, mm, um, let me not go too far out of this, but my father-in-law didn't like the fact that I was a minister. He thought I was a loser. So you can imagine father-in-law standing there, you know. And uh, point is here, Jesus, oh, Jesus, this groom is completely different. He is the groom of groom, the best groom ever. Now, who is he? Does the psalm tell us who he is? Well, the psalm gives us some clues who he is. Uh, the psalm, by the way, was firstly written for Solomon. And I don't know which one of his gazillion weddings this one was written for, but he's probably a shady character, so probably not the best groom. He's not the knight in shining armor that the psalm is talking about. Uh, we find some clues of who the psalm's um, who the groom is there in verse 6 and 7. So if you have a Bible, look to verse 6. Um, it says this. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and you have hated wickedness. Therefore God, our God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So the king of verse 1 is now on his throne in verse 6. He is called God, and he is anointed by God. So, Old Testament language here, think about God coming to anoint his king. Uh, think about what happened to David. Uh, the prophet would come and went through all David's brothers and says, no, not this one, no, not this one, no, not this one. Eventually, he asked the father, you know, is there another one? And they say, yeah, yeah, he's in the felt, little guy. And eventually, he said, bring him. And when he comes in, the Lord says, this is my king. This is the one I want to anoint above his brothers. There in verse 7, it's above his companions. So number one, we know that this groom is blessed because he's anointed by God above all others. So he's the king of kings, the king above all other kings. Then, interestingly enough, this verse 6 and 7 is also recorded for us or quoted for us in the New Testament. In the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, this, chapter 1, this exact verses are quoted and says, of the Son. And then we see the quotations of verse 6 and 7. So this, the New Testament tells us, 
He is called the Son of God. We know from Hebrews that's Jesus. So the best groom ever, the one blessed and anointed by God, is Jesus. He's the king. He's the king on the throne. Verse 1, he's the most gorgeous of most handsome sons of men. That means he's a human being, God becoming man. And verse 6, he's God. So we have all of that there, God becoming man, the third, the second person of the Trinity. So already our heart should be exploding because Jesus is the best groom ever. He's the blessed, anointed one. Now, verse 45 in the title, oh, verse 45, Psalm 45 is called a mascal. Now that's a teaching psalm. The idea there is you need to learn what the psalm is teaching you. So, let's look at those ideas again. Best groom ever because he's most attractive. Think about Jesus in the New Testament. Especially his words. Especially how people reacted to what he said. Remember how they acted to him? Think about his power. From the dogs to the demons. Everybody in between. No match. Authority over sin and sickness and death. Most victorious. Fighting the battle. His arrow hits the mark. Hits your heart. Jesus was interested in mankind's hearts. And his noble theme. This war cry of truth and righteousness with meekness. Jesus is the one who spoke truth. Stroke spoke truth to all authority, eventually caused him to be killed. He's the one who sought out true righteousness and justice for all mankind, doesn't matter who you are. And the way he goes, went about it with complete humbleness and meekness. So this blessed groom, best groom ever, is actually Jesus, the anointed king, forever on that throne, robed with majesty and splendor. And this psalm is all about what he came to do. What did he come to do? He came to marry his bride. The best groom ever. No one can hold a candle to him. In fact, there was no one even in the race with against him. He's so amazing that the psalmist's heart is bursting. His most pleasing theme is about the king. And he wants everybody to know this is your knight in shining armor. He's the one, the author of this happily ever after story. So, there we have the groom. Second point we're going to look at this morning is the bride. Uh, And the first thing we need to notice about the bride is there's quite a cost for the bride to be paid to become part of this marriage. Actually, verse uh, 10 is a marriage proposal. Have a look at verse 10. Jesus says, uh, the, the, the bride, the psalmist says, Hear, O daughters, and consider and incline your ear. Consider this. Forget your people in your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your Lord, bow down to him. Becoming the bride of Jesus has got this idea of forgetting and bowing down, or another word of leaving your father and cleaving. Doesn't that sound familiar? Any wedding married? Anybody get married recently? 
You leave and you cleave. Isn't that what's going on here? Let me help us explain. The girl, the virgin girl, getting married, she's under her father's house. In her father's house, she's got everything she needs. She's protected, she's loved, she's cared for. Now, when you get married to another household, you have to leave this old way of life and unite or cleave to this new way of life, this new life that your husband offers you. You have to leave and forget this old way of life. You know that's talking about Jesus and his church. It talks about us and Jesus. What is it that we have to leave behind? What are some of the old things that we used to cling to and hold on to and desperately tooth and nail because we can't live without this? Leave and cleave. You know the Bible's word for that process is repentance and faith? Sin is actually holding on to that old way of life with the Father, your old way that you think this is actually true life. This is going to make me happy. This is going to make me whatever. Jesus says, no, you must turn away from that. Repent of that. And turn towards this new life. Trusting, bowing the knee before your king. Forgetting the old way, turning back, repentance and faith. Actually, repentance and faith is the characteristics of this. That's the price to be paid. The price that you need to consider. The price you need to incline your ear to if you want to bow the knee before Jesus. Now, many people will say no, the way is more religion. You know, I'm Afrikaans here, and all Afrikaners are born Christians. You know how we work here? But that's not true. A lot of people say you become a Christian when you uh, get baptized, or you get confirmed, or, or more good works. No, no, no. The characteristics of you as a Christian is one where you leave your father, your old way, and you cling, cleave to the new way. And it's something to consider. The best groom ever, Jesus, has come and he's making this marriage proposal to you. Come into this fairy tale, this happily ever after. But I want you to stop for a moment and just look what happens to this bride. Just look what happens to this bride. She is described in the most glowing, most beautiful, most blessed Verse 13 to 15 is a description from her moving from her chambers into the very presence of the palace of the king. Verse 13 is a description of a dress. It's a dress to die for. It's actually a dress that the king died for. It's a dress fitting to come into his very presence. Remember? Holy blameless, without stain, without wrinkle. That's the dress you and I wear if we are Christians. Holy, blameless, without stain, without wrinkle. That is the dress we wear. That's the dress fitting for you and me to come into the very presence of the king. This, verse 15, this wedding procession, this walking down the aisle, there's nothing like it. Followed by an entourage, bridesmaids, Galore, into the very presence of the palace of the king, into the presence of the king, with joy and gladness. This wedding, this movement from your old to the new, 
is described in these most amazing terms. I wonder if you ever thought about your Christian life as that. Have you ever thought about yourself if you're a Christian? That this is a description of you. Glowing. Beautiful. Most beautiful. (laughs) The groom is ready. The bride is ready. The wedding is happening. I wonder if you thought about yourself as a Christian as that. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer here today, this is true because the king is the one who loves you. He's the one who made you beautiful and clean. He's the one who's come and he wants to marry you of all people. And that your life will be characterized as one of turning repentance and faith. Now at this time, when you think about that, you kind of have to stop and think and pinch yourself. You you have to pinch yourself and say, how on earth did I make it in? If you're a Christian, how on earth is my name written in this love song? How am I part of this wedding? That's that's the final point. That's the one we're going to look at. How is it possible for me to be invited? Not just invited, but be part of this wedding. Because when you read the Bible... Yes, the Bible describes God as our, our groom and we are his bride. But the Old Testament is full of prostituting ourselves. Whoredom. That's the description of us as God's wives. You know, it's so bad that Hosea, one of the books in the Old Testament, God actually makes one of his prophets, Hosea, marry a prostitute to show Israel exactly this is how you are. So, Hosea chapter 1, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take for yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the Lord, for the land, sorry, has committed great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. That's the ultimate description of God's people. God has come as as a groom, and they have cheated on him. They have left him for others. We read the New Testament, and we get the same warning from Paul and all the ultimate writers. When we sin, we are adulterous. That's the word the Old Testament uses. We are, we, 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 we do not leave and we do not leave. So how on earth is this true of you and me? If that's a description of us? Well, the answer is the most pleasing theme, which the psalmist's heart is bursting with. The answer is the king. He is the one who came for you. Have a, have, a, have a read with me, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5. Talking about marriage, talking about Jesus and his church. Have a, just listen, let me, Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. How can we get into this wedding? How can we become this most beautiful, most blessed bride? The king came for us. That's what happened. The king came and proposed to us. He came and found us where we were, by the way. He doesn't say you must become 
a little bit cleaner, a little bit more holy, a little bit... No, no, he finds us where we are. And then he proposes to us. And then he takes us and he washes us clean. And we have this new life characterized by repentance and faith. No wonder the psalmist's heart is bursting out of his heart. His heart is out of his chest. Because the most pleasing theme is the king who came for each one of us. So as I end, let me, let me leave you with these two thoughts, these two proposals. Psalm 45, if you're not a Christian yet this morning, is a marriage proposal to you. It is the most blessed, most beautiful, best groom ever coming to you and saying, will you marry me? The one who can take you from where you are, rescue you from that pit where sin has the dresses, no longer dresses, you can't even describe it as a dress. It's death. He's come and he says, let me give you life. I want to marry you. Come as you are and I will clean you. I will take you from where you are to the palace, into my very presence. So Psalm 45 is a, is a marriage proposal to each one of us if you're not a Christian. But then Psalm 45 is also a wedding video. You know, our lives as Christians, we struggle with sin. Like Israel, you go into these deep places of despair. Sin grips you and holds you. Well, Psalm 45 is your wedding video. It's a reminder of what God has done for you. So put it in the CD player, (laughs) in the DVD player. We don't have those things anymore. Put it in there and play it. And be reminded what the king has come to do for you. Remember who he is, best groom ever. Remember how attractive he was for you when you first heard his words. Remember how powerful he is and what he used his power to rescue you from. And remember how his arrows hit your heart. That's where he hit at you, in your heart. So Psalm 45 is a wedding proposal. But Psalm 45 is also your wedding video, reminding you of the best groom ever, the most pleasing theme possible. And be reminded that you are in this fairy tale story. It's not a fairy tale, it's a true tale. It is a happily ever after. The bad guy, the devil, is done. He's done. Christ has come. To set us all free. So it doesn't matter what you feel like. The truth is, Jesus is our best groom ever, and He's come for you and for me. And for that, all nations, all peoples will praise Him. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you um, that you loved us so much that you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. the groom, the most blessed, anointed, victorious, victorious over all sin, all brokenness, victorious over death. 
Thank you, Father, that the groom, that Jesus has come for me and for you because he loves us. He wants to marry us. He wants to, us to be perfect, spotless, blameless brides. Please help us see that, Lord. Help us turn from our old ways. Help us believe and trust in this new life that we have in Christ. And thank you, Lord, this, this love song, this most abounding joy and explosion of joy and gladness is for us, for your people, your children. So let us be like the psalmist. Let our hearts overflow with joy and gladness because we are in the very presence of the king, the most glorious king. The bride is come to her home, which is with the, with the groom. Help us enter this presence, Lord, with joy and gladness forever and ever. Amen.